Welcome to BuildCast, where we delve into the backstories of experts and other players in the built environment to reveal their journey and how they got built. Join us in our conversation to learn from their life experiences, to be the catalyst for innovation, and to make sustainable building mainstream building. Now here is your host and the principal thinker at Build Tank Inc., Robbie Schwartz. I say all the time when I present at different events that buying a house is crazy because it's the largest purchase most people make in their lifetime with the least amount of knowledge about the product that they're buying. This was definitely true for me when my wife and I bought our first home and before I was fully immersed in the construction industry. We completely relied on relationships. My mother-in-law was a realtor who helped us find the home. Her friend helped us get a loan and to ensure the house, I called up my high school lacrosse coach turned insurance agent. I have to say the process was easy though. We signed where we were told to, and we didn't ask any questions. This has to be how the majority of folks buy houses as well, which is all good and well if you have good relationships and all goes well and smoothly. One family I spoke with recently in my new role as the new homes building advisor for Boulder County's Marshall Fire just closed on a loan for their house about a month before the fire. Another had just moved into their newly constructed home, and yet another had just done an insurance review before the fire. Now, after the fire, all we are hearing is that everyone is underinsured. I wanted to understand this better because, to be honest, I kind of felt that being underinsured is likely our own fault. The way I see it, we are gambling with our budget. The probability that one's house will catch on fire is small. So the question is, are you willing to take some risk to save X dollars on a monthly premium payment? And the answer is most likely yes. To Tim Stuber, the question is a little bit different. He's a former NFL football player who absorbed my lacrosse coach's insurance agency when he retired. Immediately, Tim began to foster a relationship with me and my family. And that is where Tim started when I asked him about insurance and disaster preparedness. Yes, some insurance is better than others. And yes, I believe that most insurance companies are continuing to put obstacles in people's way in their effort to become whole after a disaster event. But Tim points to the relationship one creates with their agent as the key factor in insurance. Just like buying a house, most of us don't know what we are buying when we buy insurance. I feel like I'm relearning everything every time I speak with Tim. The difference for me is that I trust that Tim has the patience to explain it anew to me each time and to advise me regarding the best direction to go for my family. Ultimately, it's my choice what I'm willing to pay, but it's the relationship and sound counsel that my agent provides that may be the difference between being prepared for a disaster or not. The Marshall Fire has revealed so many other questions about home insurance and the process of becoming whole after a severe disaster event. My hope is to have some continued conversations with people to understand their experiences after this severe event to better understand how the insurance industry works, maybe to have a conversation with the Colorado or other state insurance commission, and particularly to understand more about this software the industry is using to determine replacement cost 
as it seems to be woefully inaccurate. This exploration into insurance and housing begins with my insurance agent, Tim Stuber, and I hope you enjoy your listen of the BuildCast. Hello and welcome to the BuildCast. I appreciate you listening today. Today I'm speaking with Tim Stuber of Tim Stuber Insurance Agency, representing Farmers Insurance. How are you, Tim? I'm doing great. Thanks, Robbie. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're going to talk today about insurance for homes. And then specifically, we're going to be getting into insurance for extreme weather events, uh, like the Marshall Fire that happened here in Colorado and the hurricane that just happened in um, Florida, as well as potentially you know, water damage that might be happening uh, through events like what happened with the big freeze in Texas and whatnot. But before we get there, Tim, I wanted to understand a little bit about your background and how you got to becoming a insurance agent and uh, working with Farmers Insurance. Uh, could you sure. tell me a bit about uh, your path to becoming an insurance agent? <clears throat> sure. Um, it's kind of a unlikely path. Um, you know, I, I've had three jobs my entire life. You know, I, I mowed grass at Highland Hills Golf Course here um, in Westminster. Um, I played professional football, and then now I own my farmer's insurance agency. So I'm 44 years old. So over the last 26 years-ish or so, I've kind of been doing one of three things. So um, so I went, I'm a local guy. I went to Northland High School. I played football there. I was um, relatively highly recruited. I had offers from all Big Ten schools, a bunch of different schools, CU, CSU, whatever. And I met Coach Lubick and um, really fell in love with Fort Collins and then their whole culture and went to college at Colorado State University and graduated there and went on to sign a free agent contract with the National Football League and played five seasons in the NFL for a few different teams. Um, I went to Europe. My wife and I lived in Europe for two years, one year in Barcelona and one year in Frankfurt, um, and then stuck on with Carolina uh, for two seasons. And then finally ended my career in Denver here with the Broncos on uh, 04 and 05. Um, and then after that, you know, running into people for a living isn't really a good thing to put on your resume. I mean, not a lot of people want to hire you after that. So I didn't have, um, I didn't have a real straightforward career path. So being a professional athlete, I knew nothing about business. I had no connections in business. All my connections were in playing and coaching. Um, the only business person I knew was my agent, um, who's a local agent here in Colorado and represents a lots of guys um, um, here with the Broncos and Alan Lazard and um, with the Packers. And um, so a, a bunch of guys, Peter Schaefer is his name. He's um, a Cherry Creek agent. Anyway, I called Pete and I just said, hey, you're the only guy I know in business. If you weren't an agent, what would you do? And he said, well, talk to my buddy with farmers and I talked to him and 16 and a half years later, here I am. So, um, and I've really enjoyed farmers. So it's been a great decision for me, so. Yeah, so you bought the insurance agency from a friend of mine, a mentor of mine actually. Uh, um, he was my lacrosse coach uh, through high school and whatnot, uh, Charlie Belton. Um, did you work for Charlie before you um, took over the agency? 
I didn't, you know, so 16 years ago, I started an agency from scratch. So I, I started with zero policies. My first paycheck with farmers, I actually owed them $199. Um, and I was like, this isn't how this is supposed to work. Um, so then I built an agency of, I don't know, about two and a half million dollars in premium um, before um, Charlie decided to retire. And then I took on Charlie's um, I bought Charlie's business from him and added it to our existing business to, to kind of get us to where we are today. So, and Charlie and I were always really good buddies. We always had the football thing in common because I know Charlie played football in high school and I know he was a big lacrosse guy and always really enjoyed his company. So that's kind of how we got connected. So interesting. Okay. Yeah. So did insurance, insurance wasn't something that was really on your radar while you were playing football and, and whatnot. It's just, it, seemed to just be the logical path the next step after after your career in football you know i think insurance was about f as far off the radar <laughs> as anything you know i mean when i played i had no you know i had a financial advisor and my wife and um you know my agent and, and some of my other you know people that were helping me kind of helped me organize you know insurance on our houses you know insurance on vehicles that kind of thing um, but I, I didn't even know how to read a policy, didn't know what the coverages were. I just knew that I called the guy whose name was on our, you know, envelope there and said, Hey, how much do I owe? You know, why did it go up? What's going on? Tell me what's happening. You know, that kind of thing. But other than that, I had no, no experience with insurance whatsoever. Um, so about, it's probably the most uncommon, you know, the most like un thing that probably would never have happened is me going from sports to this, but you know, this is competition. This is sales. This is relationships. This is, you know, this is everything football is. It's just definitely in a different format. Thank God my body couldn't take it anymore, but um, you know, it's, it's really just working in a team, trusting people, putting together a plan, presenting your idea and seeing if people like it or they don't like it. So it's been wonderful for me. And, and, and a lot of people that have sports backgrounds get into this, which after being in it for 16 or 17 years, it seems like everyone I meet that's in real estate or insurance or lending or financial planning, maybe from that financial planning, not so much, but a lot of those other industries have some kind of um, sports or competitive background. So, um, What do you see? I see the, uh, the relationship with regards to kind of team, team building and, and whatnot, but what other kind of connections do you see between uh, your sports career and uh, your career as an agent? Well, that's a good question. You know, I've um, I thought about that um, ever since I kind of got into this. And, you know, I was an offensive lineman when I played football. So really my job was to protect everyone else, you know, kind of protecting the running back, protecting the quarterback, kind of doing all of that. And and that's what we do now. You know, farmers protect families. We protect your assets, um, you know, your home, your business, your liability, vehicle, your life, you know, all of those things. So that's I'm doing the same thing now that I've always done is it's just not physically protecting people anymore. It's just, you know, putting together this plan to make sure that families are properly protected. All their assets and all their belongings are are, are protected with us. So, yeah. Well, I, I definitely want to dive into the insurance side more, obviously, sure. but um, I do have 
Maybe I have a question about your football career before you, uh, before we go there. Um, you said you were in Europe. Were you, there, you weren't playing football when you were in Europe, were you? I was. Yes, I was playing like um, they they call it American football in Europe, and you know, in Spain, which I had no clue. I was just kind of a ignorant American to soccer is what we call it here, but you know, football over there especially in Spain. So in Barcelona, FC Barcelona is like, I don't even know what it's comparable here to in the United States. The Yankees maybe times a hundred. I don't know. But every person it seems like that lives in Spain is either a real Madrid fan or a Barcelona fan. And we lived in Barcelona and their games would draw like 115, 120,000 people. And our games, we'd have like 300 people in this Olympic stadium that was like built for 70 or 80,000 people. We'd have like three or 400 people in there. So, you know, it, it was kind of a humbling experience as far as that goes. And then the next year, or not two years later, I guess, I went to Frankfurt. And Frankfurt, because of all the, you know, all the American military presence there in Germany, they have a huge football following. So we had tons of people at our game. We played in the World Bowl. Um, in Berlin that year and we had like 80,000 people come to that game wow. so it was it was very different it was a very different experience so so is the NFL trying to build a European American football market or is the is this uh, coming from the grassroots in Europe it it did have a connection to the NFL. That that league is no longer around. It was called the NFL Europe um, League. So you NFL clubs would allocate a certain amount of like de developmental players over mm -hmm. to clubs overseas, and then you'd go through a draft. You'd get drafted. You play your season, and then you come back to the training camp. And it was kind of like giving you an extra ten training camp and ten or ten or eleven games of season to kind of hone your skills, get better, all those things. So that when you come back to the States, you can, you know, kind of have a head start uh, with all these other guys that have kind of been in the off season or, or new guys from college or whatever. So um, it definitely was a great thing for me. I mean, it, it stretched my career, you know, another four years. Um, so if it wasn't for that opportunity, I wouldn't have played professional football, you know, maybe for two, three months before I got released in San Diego. So um, so it was great. But now, yeah, the NFL is expanding. I mean, I think in the next 10 years, they'll have teams in, you know, they'll have a team in Mexico. I don't know about Canada. They may have teams in Canada. I'm not real sure because they've got Canadian football there, but they'll definitely have a team in London. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if like Munich has a team or something as well. So yes, they're definitely trying to expand for sure. So well, very, very interesting. Thanks for sharing. And yeah, yeah. Uh, we need to get back to our main topic here. Else we'll, we'll go yeah. down the rabbit hole forever. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. Um, so getting back to insurance, um, you you joined the industry as an agent. Um, how did you learn the industry? How did how did you learn about insurance? Um, sure. Is there, is there like a training that farmers put you through or something? Yeah. Yeah. So it's called the University of Farmers, um, and it really is. You know, you. Our headquarters is in Los Angeles. So, you know, when I, I went through all of my kind of um, licensing here in the state of Colorado to kind of, you know, be legal to sell insurance, I was appointed with farmers and then you go off to, to the university. You're there, you know, four or five times for maybe a week, week or two weeks at each time. 
and they kind of train you through the process, kind of the beginning, the middle, the end process. And then while you're here, um, back in back in your home state here in Colorado, you have support teams here. You've got a district district manager um, and their their staff that trains you. Um, and then, you know, you've got a really good network of of all kind of the tenured agents that also support new agents. So, you, Farmers definitely gives you that initial training. Um, but then you also have, you know, agent mentors, and then you have district managers who are kind of, you know, the people that are kind of helping you manage staff and production and finances and, and all that good stuff. So, can you explain what you mean when you said I you were appointed by farmers? Sure. So anytime, so when you when you get a contract with an insurance carrier. Um, they go through a process, they kind of do a vetting process of all of their um, agents and every company's vetting process is different. You know, some of them are like, hey, you have a pulse, we'll take you. And some of them are like, you know, hey, I want a background check. I want you to take these personality tests. I want you to do all of these things ahead of time um, before you get appointed and kind of are allowed to represent that company. Um, and Farmers is definitely the latter of the of the two. I mean, we you had to go through, you had to be licensed, you had to go through this training, you had to have like an initial like production where you could prove you could issue and write a certain amount of policies under the supervision of your district manager and their support staff and all of that. And then farmers offers you a contract, which you then take that contract and then throughout a certain number of kind of milestones throughout the next three years, you kind of earn your full contract with farmers. And that's changed since I've been around. I mean, I've been around for almost 17 years. That's definitely, that process is, has streamlined quite a bit. Um, now, I think um, if you're licensed in the state of Colorado, um, Farmers has a lot of different programs where you can kind of buy an agency or you can step into like a someone who's retiring or you can start from scratch. They got a bunch of different programs now. But. Uh, okay, interesting. Um, so it, it sounds like it's kind of like uh, you pick an agency that you'd like to work with, and then there's this apprenticeship component before you're allowed to actually have an independent agency that's representing. Right. Yeah. So, you know, farmers does kind of, you know, audition you and makes you hit certain goals and things as far as like training and production, just to make sure that, you know, once you go off on your own, you could be a viable business, you know, that you'll have, you know, a safe, clean office space that's going to represent farmers. You're not going to be like, you know, working out of the back of a U-Haul truck or something, you know, yeah. I mean, they, they want to have like a clear message of, hey, if you walk into a farmer's office in Kansas City or Oklahoma City or Seattle or Denver, they're all going to look kind of the same and have the same vibe as far as like, there'll be an agent, there'll be support staff, there'll be a waiting area, there'll be a, you know, all of those things. So Great. Okay, perfect. So. Let's think about um, home insurance. Um, yeah. If I am a new homeowner, um, what are the first kind of things that I need to think about with regards to insuring my home? And why, why do I need insurance in the first place? Well, you know, one of the things that made it so appealing to me, like from a financial perspective or, or kind of just like from a business perspective is, there's not a lot of industries where you are required to purchase a product because you have a loan on that home or, or you have collateral, whatever it is. 
it's a business loan, it's a vehicle loan, it's a home loan, whatever it is. Well, insurance is used, um, you know, to insure that collateral. So um, that was one of the things that was really interesting to me is, you know, hey, this is something that's required, you know, and everyone in the state of Colorado requires you to carry vehicle insurance. Your lender is going to require you to have coverage on your home. All these things are are interesting. It's not me selling you this widget that I've made and I have to kind of sell you on why this is so great. You have to have this as long as I'm like a trustworthy person with a great product and present it to you clearly. Why can't I earn your business? So to me, that gave us a great opportunity to kind of step in and do things. Um, but the other thing apart from that is, you know, it's it's your life savings. You know, it's it's probably the biggest purchase all of my clients are going to make in their lifetime. You know, my home is the largest asset apart from my business that I have. Um, so I want to make sure, God forbid, if there's a windstorm or water damage or fire damage or a bad hailstorm or any of that stuff that, you know, my most important investment is going to be, you know, taken care of. So that's the primary concern is people are spending so much money on homes, especially nowadays. I mean, geez, over the last three or four years, I think home values has probably doubled in three or four years. So, so those numbers are really starting to skyrocket. So, so that's, those are kind of the two reasons. So, yeah. So, um, Going off of what you said, uh, fundamentally, what is insurance supposed to do for a person besides being a mandatory requirement of the loan process? Um, right. What does insurance actually do for us? Right. So insurance at its core is just it's called indemnification. So what indemnification means is we're going to bring you back to where you were prior to whatever event, you know, lessened you so you know if that's a if that's a tornado if that's a fire whatever it is if you had a two-stair two-story 2500 square foot house our job as far as our contract reads is to indemnify that person to get them back where they were prior to the loss so we kind of get you back where you were um and 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 there's a lot of different ways insurance companies do that some of them kind of you know do it very smoothly and effortlessly and, and easily. And, and some of them do not, some of them do, um, you know, it's a very arduous process. There's lots of paperwork and lots of frustration and all of those things. So, um, but at its core, insurance is supposed to protect your asset, get it back to where it was prior to the loss. So. Okay. Um, and, but you have choices when you're seeking a policy in terms of how much repair or getting you back to whole or basically what getting back to whole means to you as an individual or are there specific requirements about how much insurance uh, you actually have to carry to get yourself back to whole well, you know, that's a really good point. And I think that's a huge concern for a lot of people that were involved in the Marshall Fire and then the Grand Lake Fires, you know, a couple of years ago. There is a lot of concern about, you know, <clears throat> why wasn't I notified? Why didn't I talk? Those kind of things. So really, it comes down to the relationship that you have with the person who's covering your property, you know. So, you know, I have a lot of clients who have been with us, you know, for 16, 17 years, um, you know, and I do, you know, reviews with those people every year and a half, two years, three years, you know, we kind of, um, we kind of connect, um, 
you know, when I see something that's out of whack or when they feel something that's out of whack um, and you kind of go through those things and, and, and make and make the appropriate changes. But having a good line of communication is really the thing that's prevented a lot of my customers from being in those bad situations. But that does happen. Um, you know, there are policies that are put in place and those the ownership of agencies change or, you know, insurance companies come and go. Um, and those, you know, those things are not reviewed. You know, customers don't look at their mailings, agents don't look at their renewals, things fall through the cracks and then you have a loss and you go, oh man, I, I'm not insured correctly. What do I do now? So that's not a good situation to be in. So the one suggestion I would make to anyone who's listening to this, who's concerned about their insurance is make sure that the person who carries your insurance, the agent or the company or whomever, make sure you reach out to that person and have a good dialogue with them. And if you don't have a good dialogue with them, find someone, you know, either through like Google reviews or referrals or, you know, neighbors or friends who's good at it, who can help you with that to make sure you don't have a shortfall in coverage. So, but to answer your question, there's nothing that says, hey, if you're insured for 100,000 and it costs 300 to build your home, the insurance company will pay 300,000. That's on the owner of the property, the mortgage company and the agent to make sure that all of those things get done correctly, so. Okay, so when, when we talk about insurance as a means to make you whole after after a loss, um, right. does that mean that you have to carry enough insurance to make you whole? Or I mean, carry a policy that will actually make you whole? Or do you have choices that you're making that will govern your your premium payment that also dictate right. how much whole you're actually going to be, you know, in essence. Right. Right. So yes, you do have choices, right. You know, I mean, you, there's options within the existing contract that I can put in or take out that will make your policy coverage wise, you know, more or less robust, depending on kind of what those changes are. Um, you know, you can have a higher or lower deductible limit. There's no one that's saying you're required to have a certain amount of, of dwelling coverage to replace the bricks and mortar of your property. You know, if I write a policy for someone for a million dollars and they say, hey, Tim, it's only going to cost 700000 to rebuild my home. Could they then go to another company and say, I only want to be insured for 700000 Absolutely, they could. And it's up to that agent and that company if they're going to issue that policy to that person or not. Um, so, yes, you're right. It, it's It's up to the agent and the company to make sure that they have all of the things in the background to make sure our policy is rated correctly. Um, it's also up to the customer to make sure they're reviewing the policy and understand what do all these numbers mean? Because everyone knows how much their house costs. I mean, we all pay the mortgage payment. <laughs> you know, we, we talk to the real estate person, we, we know how much a home costs. So if I purchase a home for a million dollars and I insure it for 700,000, that's probably not the right decision. So having a good line of communication is is the thing that's going to alleviate a lot of those frustrations and shortfalls. So. But you are allowed to. The industry doesn't prevent right. you from insuring it right. for seven hundred thousand versus the million. Well, just to give you an example, right? So today, I have a new customer who we're trying to earn their business. He's a referral from an existing customer, it's his dad. That customer then came to us and said, hey, here's my deck sheets from another carrier. So deck sheets are kind of a 
coverage description. It's a declaration page, which kind of declares all of your coverage limits and premiums and deductibles and all those things. So he provided me with those documents and I'm kind of going through it all saying, hey, this is not enough coverage to rebuild your home. You know, have you ever talked about this? Do you know I've had this policy in place since 2013 when I bought the house and it's kind of just renewed. So so that's really my job is to say, well, hey, I'm not going to copy another agent's work. I'm going to do my own work and tell you it's going to cost this much money to rebuild your home or, you know, or, or whatever it is. So, but if he wanted to go, come to me and say, Hey, Tim, can you insure me for 200,000? There's nothing saying that I can't write that policy and take his money. There's not, it's just okay. the ethics. It's the ethics of, of the agent who's writing the policy. And then farmers has a lot of things on the back end as far as like property inspections and underwriter review and all of those things to make sure those things aren't happening. So, yeah. Interesting. So, um, full replacement value versus something else. So, are most people coming and asking for policies that will fully replace the home that was lost, um, or are they um, willing to take some risk that? Sure. and go with with uh, less coverage and and lower premium payment so this is kind of a this is kind of a two-part question so let's do a pre-marshal and a post-marshal right so pre-marshal yes no one cared about anything but their premium that was it i mean in general i'm not saying specifically all my customers but i'm saying in general yeah. people were focused on their premium 99 percent I mean, and there's, I mean, I can't fault someone for that. I mean, that's your, that's up to you and, you know, whatever it is, but you know, if my premium was $300 more than the competitor and their insurance, their insurance value on that home was a hundred thousand less, I, I have lost customers because of that amount of money and that amount of protection. Now let's kind of fast forward post Marshall. Absolutely not a hundred percent. Not, I think every consumer's mind has completely at least in my opinion, the, the hundreds and hundreds of people that I've talked about, I think consumers' minds have shifted 180 degrees. They were looking 100% at the premium, and now they're looking 100% at the coverage. Um, I, I've had multiple customers, multiple, multiple, that have had significant increases in their premium. And I'm not talking 5%. I'm talking you know, significant increases that have stayed with farmers just because the things that we did in the Marshall fire. And I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm sure there's people that have stories about farmers, how we didn't meet, you know, their expectations and all of those things. But I'm just saying in this instance with the customers that I had that went through this, I had family, friends, neighbors, colleagues, people calling me saying, hey, you guys are doing such a great job for them. Can you help me with this? Can you give me advice? So I would say that prior to Marshall, no one cared about anything but price. Price, price was the only thing. No one cared about the quality of the coverage or the limits. Now people are 100% focused on what am I covered for? Explain that to me. What's my deductible? What happens if my home burns down? Talk to me about my personal property, all of those things. Yeah. So. And I think that makes a lot of sense because we had not experienced, you, you think about the risk that you're taking you're thinking that the the possibility of fire taking my house uh, is so small, and right. therefore 
I'm willing to take the risk and pay a smaller premium because the likelihood that that natural event's going to happen is 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 really small. Um, and now I think it's highlighted. Do you think that what you're saying is a regional specific to Boulder County? Uh, is it? Are you seeing it wider spread within the Denver metropolitan area? And then I'm also kind of thinking, are people, um, let's say in Wyoming or Montana or some other state, are they thinking about this change in coverage in the same way? You know, um, I my book of business, because of my my personal kind of influence, I've written the majority of my business is from Broomfield North. So I would say, you know, maybe I go as far down to maybe, I don't know, 150 to 100 homes south of, of, of downtown Denver, potentially. And then quite a few in the Denver area, um, in the Highlands area, Denver, whatever. But I would say the majority of my customers are in Broomfield, Boulder, um, Longmont, Loveland, Fort Collins, Erie, all of these surrounding communities up here. And and I would say yes, the one event I've seen. I mean, the Boulder, the Boulder flood was definitely something where I thought a lot of people were, you know, what is this? What's flood insurance? You know, no one kind of knew what that was back in 2013. And then with the Marshall Fire, I think people are just like, you know, I will pay extra money to make sure that my home and all my belongings are covered correctly. Um, yeah. Speaking like. I mean, nationally, I, I'm not, I, I only am licensed to write insurance in the state of Colorado. Yeah. Um, I do, I ha, I do write, Paul, I do have a license in California um, only because I do have a few um, workers comp accounts in Colorado that also have employees in other states. Um, I don't actively write insurance in other states, but Colorado. I do know that um, I talk to a lot of people from California, farmers agents from California, farmers agents from Washington and Oregon, um, all over kind of the West Coast. I mean, Oregon, Colorado, and California, I mean, they are all concerned about fire. I mean, drought and fire in those communities is a huge, huge, huge concern. Um, you know, and I'm sure Florida and Louisiana and Alabama and those whole areas have other concerns, you know, hurricanes and all that. Um, that's not anything that I know much about, but regionally, I know wildfires to me is the scariest thing I've ever seen. Um, it's just, you know, losing 1200 homes in less than 24 hours is just, I mean, I can't even fathom that, you know, it's, it's just unbelievable. So, yeah. um, it was a scary deal. Um, and then the Grand Lake fire, I had probably 50 customers were that were maybe a half a mile from losing their family homes. I mean, like homes, their grandfathers built, you know, <laughs> like that is a scary, scary, scary deal. So. Yeah, I I think I'm curious if the industry is seeing changes in the way that people are looking at insurance because of climate change issues. Yeah. Um, you know, fire is one example of that, and and the the fire in Marshall in Boulder County, the Marshall Fire was not a traditional wildfire. Um, right. By any stretch of the imagination, but you know it it brings home climate change and the severe weather events associated with 
with right. uh, natural disasters, and in this case, the severe wind event that coupled with the fire, you know, like you said, lost 1,200 houses in, in less than 24 hours. Yeah. So I don't know if yeah I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. It, kind of what farmers in general is seeing across the I mean, country or concern. Yeah, I guess I guess I'll kind of have to step out of my farmer's hat here and then just talk on my own because I don't know like what farmers would say or not say about it. But me personally, being a Colorado native, I mean, I grew up here. I've kind of seen this community change from you know kind of a moderate climate to kind of a desert over the last you know I don't know five to 10 years or so. It's just, it's changed so dramatically. I mean, I can remember vividly in Fort Collins every single day, it would rain in Fort Collins in the summertime every yeah. day between three o'clock and five o'clock every single day. I mean, May, June, July, August, every day. Um, and you know, the water, just everything is different now. Um, and the hail, I mean, when I was a kid in, in 1996, I graduated from high school I don't think I've ever seen, you know, a hailstone bigger than, I don't know, a penny, a nickel. And I mean, geez, now they're golf balls, they're baseballs, they're volleyballs. I mean, that stuff is not, I mean, those, those can't be attributed to anything other than some kind of shift in climate in this area. Um, I mean, my major concern as a homeowner in this part of town is kind of what's happening um, with some of the results from, from some of the fracking and things up here, as far as like geological you know, um, things that could happen as far as like earth movement and earthquakes and all of those things. So, I mean, those are kind of the things that I'm thinking about, like what you're talking about. I think those are kind of the next step in how are we going to handle that um, from an insurance standpoint? Um, and those are all good questions. I mean, there's not a lot of great answers, you know, because nobody really knows, like, how is that going to affect us moving forward? So, so kind of on a side note, it, it sounds interesting to me that um, farmers as a larger company might not be communicating things that they're seeing on a national scale um, in in trending of what's happening in the insurance insurance industry to the the local agents. Is, do you think that's true, and that might be true across the industry, or do you feel like you have a a pretty good idea? or communication yeah. with farmers as a as a parent company um, about what's what kind of the trends and, and what's happening on a national scale. Right. I mean I, I I have a good I have a good feeling that there there's no national things I don't think that insurance companies can kind of take as a whole um, because when they do actuarial kind of calculations, they're doing them down to the most to the minuscule, you know, to the zip code, to the city, you know, they're trying to really define rate correctly, you know, and hail is a huge factor up and down I-25. On the Western Slope, it's not a factor. So, you know, if I owned a home in Fraser or Breckenridge, I'm not going to pay the same rate that somebody does in Arvada, um, you know, because those people may get new roofs every three years. I, in, you know, in Grand Lake or Breckenridge or Fraser or some of those areas, they may not have a hailstorm in 30 years, you know? So, so nationally, I don't think that insurance companies are making like broad changes to things nationally. I do think regionally they're responding to those issues um, because each region kind of has their own concerns. You know, some areas are concerned with mold. Some areas are concerned with hail. 
you know, moisture, wind, all of those different things. So that's what makes this problem so difficult is it's not just climate change. It's not just one thing that we can kind of broadly correct. It's in each different area. There's all these things that are just so specific to that area that are causing hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in claims overnight. You know, Monday morning, everything's fine. Tuesday morning, 1,200 homes are gone, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in losses and damages and, you know, all of those things. So those are the things that this industry is trying to kind of hammer out. And I just don't know if that's something that can happen. I mean, those are just kind of events that are unforeseen, you know? Um, so, but yes, they do communicate well to us regionally or locally, but from a national scale, no, I don't, there's not a real, there's not a real effort. I don't think to nationally make changes. Um, and just because I'm only focused kind of on our local, you know, community here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another question kind of about the, the industry itself. So you're, you're talking about a hundred, hundreds of millions of dollars in damages here. Um, an insurance company is is paying out this money. Um, how are they getting that money? So, I mean, our premiums can't cover all of that um, expense. Or is it just that is is there really their core business investing that money to to make money to, that ultimately is available to to pay out and make us whole? Right. I mean, so I think every insurance company has their own kind of investment strategy. Like some are, um, uh, you know, more conservative, some are more aggressive, um, some are publicly owned companies, you know, um, some are not publicly owned, some are privately owned. Um, so there's a lot of different changes. But yes, I mean, the two things that they're doing is, you know, all insurance companies have a certain amount of surplus funds that they have, and a portion of those funds are invested in different kinds of investments. Um, um, to make, you know, interest that they can use to then pay claims if they have or whatever. Um, and then they also purchase reinsurance contracts. So we are also saying, you know, we're reinsuring that money with someone else. So we're purchasing an insurance policy on top of the policies we've sold that says, hey, if something happens, I, you know, if we have $300 million in losses, I want a policy that's going to help us pay this or else we would have multiple insurance companies when there's events like these going out of business overnight. So, um, and that's the thing that's getting more, that's the thing that's getting harder and harder and harder to purchase are those reinsurance policies from big insurance companies. And I'm no expert in that. I mean, I definitely don't have a lot of like detailed information on that, um, but that's something that I know in the industry is getting harder and harder to purchase. So, but, but all of those things, insurance companies, are required to keep a certain percentage of surplus related to how many policies they have in force. Um, so we can't have $300 in the bank and have $20 million of potential claims out there. They're not going to let us do that because if all of those claims, we wouldn't be able to pay them. So there has to be a certain percentage of that money um, accessible. And the only way they can do that is to reinvest their surplus and then to also buy reinsurance on those. Yeah. But kind of back to that that question is the insurance company's primary business to reinvest money to make money 
to hold to ultimately pay out at some point. But I, I think there's a perception, I guess, that an insurance company is resisting paying out on the policy because their primary objective of their business is to make money, not to pay out money. Does, it, does that make sense? And well, I, I, I mean, it seems like it's probably a mischaracterization, but I think that that is a perception that's out there, especially when you're going yeah. through this process. Well, I mean, the first thing I would say, everybody's in business to make money, right? I mean, like insurance companies are not here out of the kindness of their heart, right? I mean, they're a business. They're trying to create a viable business to make money for their shareholders or for their employees or for the owners or for whomever it is just like anyone else, you know, just like the dry cleaner or the restaurant or anyone else, obviously it's on a larger scale, but no, I mean, I, I guess I'll give you a personal story to this. So I, I get approached just like anyone else in their business who is doing a decent job by other people in my industry asking me to go other places, right? So um, going to other carriers, you know, to take other contracts, other places, and I can leave farmers whenever I want. I choose to stay here because of the quality of our company. Um, and what I mean by quality is if I talk to someone and I say, your home's insured for this, something happens to your home, we are going to take care of you. Farmers does that. And I've seen that on multiple occasions. Um, other insurance companies that I don't work for, I can't speak to, but I know people have had issues with that with other companies, probably with our company as well. I mean, we're not perfect either, but the reason why I'm with farmers is because of that factor. If I'm gonna insure my mom and my cousins and my nephews and my friends and my kids' parents, you know, my kids' friends' parents and you know the other guys I coach with and, and those people, I'm not gonna let the people I love be with a company that's not gonna take care of them. I mean, that would just be dumb. Um, so that's the reason why I'm with farmers. And, and I do think the perception from a lot of people is insurance companies have endless pots of money and insurance companies don't want to pay claims. Well, insurance companies, I think are just, you know, individuals really at heart. I mean, none of us want to pay bills. We're not due to pay, right? Like if you get a bill from someone and you shouldn't be paying that much, you're going to go through the process of saying, okay, explain this to me you know, why did, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And insurance companies are the same thing. We don't just cut blank checks and say, you know, Hey Tim, you can rebuild your house. Here's $50 million. But they are farmers is very, very good about going through the contract, paying exactly, you know, how we're supposed to pay when we're supposed to pay, not fighting you. Um, and I've got multiple um, examples, which I could redact and send to you, or we could talk through. Um, where we've paid hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars within two weeks of the Marshall fire. I mean, I have a customer that had $850,000 in their bank account within 15 days of the fire. Yeah. And that's just one of six or seven examples I could give you. So, yeah. and we're not perfect. I'm not trying to say we're perfect. I know a lot of people that would listen to this and say, you know, oh man, farmers did this or farmers did that. And, and that could be the case, but I'm just saying in this instance, we did a great job and that's yeah. why I'm still here. If and we I'm didn't not, do a great job, make it specific to farmers, but the industry, right, right, right. the industry, and you're right. Well, um, I think they're the industry is trying to characterize themselves, you know, through commercials and other things like 
we're your neighbor. Um, we're yeah. going to be there right. for you. We're going to do, you know, right. all these, these things. And then when, when an event happened, the customer experience seems to be um, on average, pretty different from that characterization. Right. That, and so the, the disconnect is why, you know, in some cases, you know, some policies and some players in the industry, um, it's not made sense <laughs> to become whole again. Right. Um, in the Marshall Fire in particular, I've, I'm hearing stories of people having to itemize the cost of every component of their house down to the electrical box that was put in in 1980 versus how much right. it's going to cost, you know, to put in today. Um, and right. it just doesn't seem like that should be the responsibility of the policyholder. Um, well. You know, and also, and also, kind of to speak to that because I I agree with you 100%. You know, I've owned a home since I was 25 years old, 26 years old. I don't know what my electrical box. You know, I don't know any of that stuff. You know, I mean, so it it is unrealistic for a lot of the things they're asking people to do, and even to itemize. You know, your bedroom, your, your kitchen, your office. I mean, I'm just looking through my office right now. I'm looking at you know printer, staplers, scissors, plants, office furniture. I mean, geez, how would you ever know how much that stuff costs, you know? So um, I agree with you. I do think company, certain companies do take the long way to make it difficult on their consumers. And that's too bad. Um, I, I wish there was more out there to let people know what companies were actually doing that to people after the fact, because that would make my job a lot easier. Um, yeah. So... But yes, that is a that is definitely something that's out there. Is that you know insurance companies will give you a hard time when you go to file a claim, and um, you know that's not the experience I've had with farmers. Because if it was, I wouldn't be here anymore. Um, I can't make promises to people I love and then you know break those promises when it's time to write the checks. I, I just I'm not that kind of person. So yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, going back to the specifics of the policy, it it seems like. Um, I don't know if this is true in the past or, or more so in now and in the future, but are you writing policies that um, for each potential disaster or each potential thing? So you have, in essence, uh, hail coverage, fire coverage, flood coverage, um, other water-related coverage, hurricane coverage, tornado coverage. Or, or is it all sure. wrapped into the policy? So here in Colorado, <clears throat> um, our homeowner's policy, um, we write homeowner, our homeowner's policy with farmers covers wind, it covers hail, it covers fire, it covers all of those things. You can purchase a flood policy from us that would cover, you know, groundwater, um, any kind of like, you know, flood event that's, that's um, called a, uh, you know, a national emergency or whatever. Um, so in Colorado, I don't think that's as much of an issue, but I do know in Florida, because I had a customer who asked me about it, I think he has fire insurance, hurricane insurance. I think he has sinkhole insurance too. He's got four or five different policies on the same house because different carriers have just said, I will cover everything but this because it's too much of a risk. 
And then the market has just left that open where those people have said, okay, if you won't cover this, then we will, we'll charge you additional premium. So then those people now pay four or five insurance premiums every year instead of just one, like you would in Colorado. But no, our policy covers wind, it covers fire, it covers water issues, it covers all of those things. So here in Colorado, you only need to purchase one policy to cover all of those things. But, you know, in California, they have a fair plan. They have the fair plan act in California uh-huh. where the state kind of provides, I think they subsidize some of those, the fire policies there for certain areas. Cause just cause they're too hard to insure those areas. Cause fire is so common there. I think potentially that's something Colorado could look at if fire becomes, you know, something we're dealing with every year. Um, just because all those people now that live in those areas can't find insurance because it's either too expensive or no carriers want to write it. So then those towns, you know, they wouldn't have any people living there because they couldn't afford to insure their homes. So, um, or finance their homes. So, um, but no, right now, no, you don't have to purchase multiple policies. You just purchase the one. And then if you're required to have a flood policy by your lender, or if you're worried about, you know, if you live close to some body of water or whatever, we can, we can talk through a flood policy as well. Yeah. And then if you do have a, um, a specific coverage for fire or for flood, um, are they, do they actually cover everything? So, I mean, I've heard, I guess, specifically with regards to flood insurance, that flood insurance, water from the exterior flooding your home is one thing, and water from a burst pipe flooding your home is another thing. And I'm wondering if like fire from the outside is covered one way and fire from the inside of the home is covered in a different way. Do you have to have coverage for for both events or separate? No, there's nothing in our, there's nothing in our policy that that distinguishes like wildfire or fire that starts at your, at your property. No fire, fire to us is just fire. Um, Now, as far as flood insurance, you're right. I mean, there are certain limitations of coverage to every home policy in every state, as far as groundwater is concerned. So that would be rainwater, lake water, river water, all of those things. Um, And you're right. All, all homeowners policies now cover all of the water that's in pipes in your home. So all of the enclosed water in your home, if you have a burst or break your pipe, it's covered on your home policy. But if it rains really bad and water seeps through your foundation or whatever, um, there's no coverage through any homeowner's policy for that. So. Okay. But you could buy supplemental coverage for that? You can buy supplemental coverage for it. And, and that's kind of where this stuff starts to get really, really complicated is certain carriers have flood policies that do not require like, so if you purchase a flood policy from FEMA, um, there has to be a federal, you know, a national disaster, a federal disaster for FEMA policies to pay out. Um, if like, let's say you just had issue with two houses in your community that had flood damage and you had a policy that was through a FEMA-sponsored flood policy, you wouldn't necessarily have coverage for that event. So you'd have to buy a flood policy that covers specifically your property. So that's something we kind of walk our customers through. You know, Are you wanting this because you're really concerned about water damage, or is your lender requiring you to have this policy through FEMA or whatever? Um, 
So that those are all just lender requirements or or if a customer is is asking us for the best policy, then we can go out and find it for them. So okay. So specific with the Marshall Fire, we're hearing that almost everybody saying that they're underinsured. You know, in some cases, right. hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars underinsured. And by underinsured, sure. I'm understanding that they're meaning that they they're they don't have enough money to actually rebuild the house that they were in before so right. let's talk first about the policy the policy <clears throat> my understanding is designed to rebuild the house that was there or similar to the house that was there to the modern day code and and in theory the policy should cover rebuilding that house to the newer standards. So these houses were primarily from the 1980s and 90s that burnt in the Marshall Fire. In theory, they should right. be rebuilt and rebuilt to the 2021-2018 codes um, there. Right. Is that a, a correct representation of what should happen? Yes. Okay. So when they're saying that they are hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, underinsured, does that mean that they chose a policy that didn't ensure ensure full replacement value of the house? So the answer to that is yes and no, right? Because you can kind of you can walk through this in, in different time periods. So let's say you bought a house in the year 2000 and I insured it in the year 2000 and I insured that home for 250,000. Well, 22 years ago, 250,000 for that property might've been plenty of coverage. Nowadays, that same property now could potentially cost 650, $800,000 for the exact same property. So we're not insuring it now for $80 a square foot or $75 a square foot. Now we're insuring it for $300 to $350 a square foot. So the answer to your question is that happens for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, there's not the company that you're with doesn't have like mandatory increases on their policy. So a lot of carriers will have like an 8% increase on their policy related to your coverage every year. So you're insured for 100,000 in 2020, 2021, it's gonna go to 108,000. Um, so they do have kind of inflation guard on those policies to kind of help us with inflation, but also for you know the cost of reconstruction with those properties as well. Um, Another thing that can happen is, you know, the agent or the company that you purchase the policy from um, doesn't do a good job representing you and, and talking to you about, you know, here's here's what I recommend, here's what this coverage means. You know, they kind of it's kind of what we talked about before is, hey, my current policy is twelve hundred, you know, is twenty five hundred dollars a year. This other person is quoting me for twelve hundred a year. That's half the cost. That's great. Let's go with that. And then yeah. you have a claim and then you think, oh, now I need to file a claim. Now it's too late. The claims happened. All this contract now is you can't make amendments to this contract. It's it's there. It's done. Um, is there so, a, I'm sorry. Is there a code of ethics or a 
requirement in the insurance industry that agents are required to reach out to their um, policyholders yearly or something to um, let them know that the you know maybe the price of construction is gone up or you know that we need we should review your policy or is that really just left up to individual agents and, and their own personal uh, ethics? There's no code of ethics, but you know every insurance company is required by law to mail you your renewal every year. So every customer in the entire state of Colorado is going to get their home or auto or umbrella or business or whatever renewal mailed to them. Whether they open that mail and review the 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 stuff inside, I don't know. Um, yeah. Whether the person it doesn't happen it doesn't happen in detail probably, and from my own yeah personal experience. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's and, and that's another kind of shortfall with the way the system is put together now is we have so many things going in all of our lives. Right. Everyone's busy and everyone has a lot going on. Um, you know, a lot of the things that get mailed to you, you kind of think, oh, I'll handle this in a week or two weeks or three weeks. And then six months later, you're like, I never did that. I never took care of that. And we're all, you know, um, yeah. we've all done that. Um, yeah. Right. But. So so yes, there isn't a real, you know, and speaking speaking just on the business side of things, you know, if if I had to personally contact every single person that renews in my agency in a month, you know, I mean that's three, four, five, six hundred people a month, we would be doing nothing else but calling people, you know, I mean it it just doesn't make a lot of sense the way that things are kind of designed right now to reach out to every single person every year all the time. Um you know, we do try to reach out to people and people reach out to us when, you know, they purchase a new home or they've done renovations or all those things. But no, there isn't anything that says that you have to do this or have to do that. It's it's kind of up to the person whose property you're insuring and the agent who's insuring the property about how they want to handle that communication and yeah. how things get handled. And it, it seems to be to go back to your point about a clear line of communication and open communication. Uh, on both sides um, to, to right. make sure that you're properly covered. And I think you're you're correct that, you know, in the past pre-Marshall Fire, people are, were 100% were concerned more about the premium than the coverage uh, because right. the, the presumed risk was, was small. Um, right. The other thing that seems to have happened particular to the Marshall Fire is, is the timing of the fire right at the end of COVID. And we've, we've hit this unique economic time with supply chain issues in the construction industry right. and inflation in general. Um, right. I, do you, I think that that is a big reason why the cost of construction has gone up so dramatically and why people are so underinsured. Uh, do you think oh. that's part of the issue as well? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, it's, it, it's not, it's just every single conceivable factor that could have cost more consumers more happened, you know, the time of year when it happened, you know, supply chain issues, labor shortages, 
I mean, all of these things are happening all at the exact same time. I mean, it's kind of unprecedented. And, and I don't know if inflation was as big of an issue back then as it is now, but, you know, all of those factors are kind of hitting all at the same time. I mean, I have a customer that works for um, a window and door manufacturer, and he's a salesperson. And he said, I think this was about uh, 18 months ago or so, they had truckloads of windows and doors sitting because they didn't have people to drive the trucks, you know? And right now, you know, they didn't have people to rebuild the homes. They don't have plumbers to do the plumbing, you know? So there is shortages in general. So those people that are doing it are charging more. So I think you're right. I think you're hundred percent right on. And do I think that'll be an issue moving forward? I, I really hope not. I really hope not. Yeah. Um, is there any recourse from the insurance industry side for these people that are saying they're so underinsured? <clears throat> you know, I think every carrier is is looking at each one of those events kind of individually um, and kind of taking, you know, the merits for each one of those, you know, individuals um, per case. And, and I think they're probably going through that, but there's not anything in general where someone can say, you know, hey, this is what I, you know, I should have had this or I should have had that. Um, there, there's not a lot of recourse after after the claims already happened. So yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you can you can file complaints with the state and, and do all of those things, which I know, um, you know, I'm sure people have done that. Um, but even at that rate, you know, then the insurance company would still have to make changes, and you know, so. It's it's a long process, I would imagine. So. Yeah, yeah. So if, if these people are rebuilding their houses, um, you know, a lot of them, we're getting. Uh, I think we've had over a hundred permits so far, which isn't uh, a, a big amount in terms of all the houses that. Right. Have, were burnt down, but what should right. they be thinking about with regards to insurance moving forward? that they might not have been thinking about in the past? Um, well, you know, I think, I think in these instances, the insurance company is either gonna earn your business for life or lose it forever, right? I mean, I think a lot of customers that have gone through claims with farmers will be farmers customers forever, regardless of the price. I mean, I, I think I, I told you that I have a customer in Grand Lake and his rate went from something you know, reasonable to something, you know, double what it was. And that customer staying with me, even though they got quotes from other people that were less, um, just because when they had a fire, we were there and we took care of them. And, and I think that's a lot of what people are, are, are going through um, right now is just trying to pick someone that is honest, that's reputable, that has a good reputation, um, that's taking care of people in the past. Um, instead of shopping for something that's you know, the cheapest thing out there. And, you know, all these commercials talk about, I can save you 15%. And, and I'm sure every single person on this planet, if they had a claim, would pay 15% more on their home or auto insurance to make sure it's handled correctly. So, yeah. you know, it doesn't necessarily come down to price. And, and, you know, the marketing in our industry is just 100% focused on monthly payment and price. And, you know, and a lot of people think if they're, save a hundred dollars, they have a great policy and that's not always the case. So, yeah. Um, 
So I think we're winding down here, but there is a, a group that I've done some interviewing with called the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety. And yep. they've created um, programs for severe wind events. And now they have a wildfire prepared home program. Um, right. Does It doesn't appear, however, that insurance companies are giving a reduction in premiums for the same coverage if a home is built to one of these programs to withstand high wind events and and or wildfires or whatnot do you do you think that will be coming in the in the near future i do i mean i think consumers are going to demand it um, and I also think the industry wants to do that. I mean, it only benefits farmers to be really competitive with those homes that are built with to those standards. You know, if, if there's going to be a loss and 100 homes are lost um, and all 100 of them don't meet the requirements and all the other ones that do are stay standing, that's a huge incentive for carriers to incentivize their policyholders to make those changes. So, yes, and, and you know, it's always been kind of farmer stance of, you know, if we can show that it has, you know, a real impact on the claims um, frequency or severity or whatever, farmers definitely does want to give discounts if, if we can prove that those things are um, make sense. But um, we can't have each policy kind of reviewed individually. It has to be like a farmer says, hey, this discount is now approved um, kind of a thing. But I, I would think that's definitely coming down the road. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So if I was rebuilding my house and I chose to use this uh, wildfire prepared program as as a guide to help me rebuild it to be more fire resilient, um, even if I brought that up to my agent, the agent might not have the capability of giving me any type of reduction in my well. Well, two things kind of related to that, right? One is a building material. So we do give certain kind of discounts related to certain building materials. So depending on your roofing materials or, you know, um, <clears throat> the exterior finishes or whatever, there are certain discounts already built into our policy. Um, and kind of um, second, secondly, related to that, um, and I just... I just lost it. I'm talking about the first thing, I lost the second thing. But um, yeah, related to that, I, I do think that the, there are some discounts that are coming, but but we do give discounts related to kind of the building materials um, and things. So I, I, I do think some of that stuff um, is applicable um, already. Um, you don't have to, you know, um, you don't have to have a specific discount for that preparedness. I do think some of the factors within that preparedness may already make you eligible for different discounts so perfect so as we close out uh, is there anything else that you think that people should know about home insurance uh, as we move forward with uh, the potential uncertainty uh, climate change and severe weather events that that might be coming forward yeah <clears throat> i mean i would i would really talk to my biggest I think my biggest recommendation for customers is I, I think saying that premium is not an issue is unrealistic. You know, price is always a factor. Every purchase that I make, I take price into consideration. I think it's unrealistic to say you're not going to do that. 
But I do think there's changes we can make within your policy that can make it meet your 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 price points, your budget, and still give you really high quality coverage. So I think having conversations with your the people that represent you, either your home insurance or auto or business insurance or whatever it is, and making sure those people are going to have those conversations with you and not pass you off to, you know, staff or the 1-800 number or whatever, but you're actually getting in contact with the agent um, to go through your policies, um, to make changes, make updates, make sure that everything is in order. Um, I think that's my biggest recommendation is, is just get that relationship with that person to be able to talk to them, somebody who you can trust and who knows what they're talking about and, and take their recommendation and their feedback and, and hopefully uh, move forward. And then the second point I was going to make prior to that was also with the building materials is if you have some of those factors and fire is not an issue or wind isn't an, as big of an issue, we can increase your deductible to save you money. So there are things within your policy we can do strategically to save customers money um, depending on your risk. So if the risk goes down to your um, to you being affected by those issues, we can always raise your deductible and save you money as well. So if you get with an agency that kind of is willing to strategize with you, I think that's the best thing to do. So yeah, it's really that uh, balancing of risk and and return, I guess uh, ultimately. Right. Yeah. And I think just getting somebody's feedback from you to say, you know, hey, Tim, how important is this? Have you seen this come up before? Is this something you would recommend? What do you think here? What are ways I can save? What are ways we, we don't want to save? You know, what can we cut? What don't we want to cut? You know, all of those things, because we deal with hundreds and hundreds of claims a year. You probably as a consumer will only deal with maybe half a dozen to a dozen claims in your lifetime, hopefully. So, you know, we're, we're experts at this. So ask us the questions and make us work for it. So. Yeah. Well, that's, it's been a great discussion, Tim. I really appreciate it. And on a personal note, I, I really appreciate uh, all you do. And uh, with, uh, as a disclaimer, I guess you are my insurance agent and I <laughs> yes. totally ag agree with you that uh, the personal relationships that you foster uh, make the whole experience of dealing with insurance uh, that much better and understandable, really. Uh, so again, I really appreciate your time today uh, speaking to us and helping us understand this more. Well, thanks, Robbie. I appreciate your uh, business and your friendship over the years. It's been wonderful. And thank you for having me on. It's a great opportunity. So if you ever need me again, I'm always around. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you for listening to this episode of BuildCast, brought to you by BuildTank, Inc. To see show notes and learn more about our guests and other episodes, visit the BuildCast page of our website at www.btankinc.com. Thank you, Ben Sound, for our music and to Ashley Owen for editing it. And you, for your encouragement and guidance in the creation of BuildCast. You can listen to BuildCast on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite platform. If you enjoyed our show and are willing, please take a moment to subscribe and review BuildCast, which will help others find it more easily. Thanks again for listening, and please let us know who you would like to hear next and if you have any suggestions to make BuildCast better. Until next time, be safe and continue to think 0 to 360.